0: I'm going to read to you from the book of Amos. It's chapter 7 and verses 7 to 15. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, What do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel, Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words, for this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will surely go into exile, away from their native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there, and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy any more at Bethel, because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd, and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Thanks be to God.
1: The second reading is from Mark chapter 6, verses 14 to 29. John the Baptist beheaded. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, And that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others claimed, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had (coughs) married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John, and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John he was greatly puzzled yet he liked to listen to him. Finally the opportune time came. On his birthday Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask, I will give you, up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried in to the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb.
2: When I realized that I needed to preach on Mark 6, verses 14 to 29, my heart sank. At first, re- at first glance, the reading really seems to deal with the um, execution of John the Baptist, and it reads like something you might find in a lurid um, tabloid article or alternatively in a TV drama. Um, I think in my case, the bridge comes to mind. After all, the passage includes a bigamous marriage, a scheming wife, sensuous dancing, a murder, and even a head on a plate. However, on closer inspection, the reading also contains a number of valuable messages, and one of those is that we're called by God to speak out about things that are not right in our society. In our reading from Mark, John the Baptist speaks out about Herod's unlawful marriage to Herodias. At the beginning of our reading from Mark, we're told that King Herod knew of Jesus' preaching and the miracles he carried out, because by then Jesus had become well known. According to one commentator I came across, King Herod was, uh, was Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great, and in fact, he wasn't a king. He was technically a tetrarch of Galilee and Perea. And it was Herod's request to Rome for the title of king that led to his exile to Gaul. Mark then goes on to tell us that there were differing beliefs amongst the population regarding Jesus' identity. According to the author, some people thought Jesus was John the Baptizer who had been raised from the dead, which is why they believed that Jesus had special powers. And we're also told that others thought that Jesus was the prophet Elijah. And some held the belief that Jesus was a prophet like the prophets of old. This indicates that some people believed that Jesus was different from the other holy men who were his contemporaries. Perhaps this was because there was authority in his words It also alludes to the messianic prophecy of the coming prophet who would be like Moses. According to Mark, Herod believed that Jesus was John, brought back from the dead. Herod's opinion may have come from his deep sense of guilt over John's beheading. Herod may have been a tyrant, but he appears to have had some scruples. Mark then goes on to provide an account of the events surrounding John's execution. We're told that Herod had sent a man to arrest John, who had bound him and thrown him in prison. According to the historian Joseph Ius, John was held prisoner in the fortress of Machaerus. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but on the east end of the Dead Sea. Mark tells us that the reason for John's arrest was that Herod's wife, Herodias wanted John killed because John had told Herod that it was unlawful for him to have married her as she was his brother's Philip's wife. John's objection to the liaison between Herod and Herodias appears to have been based on the prohibitions that are expressed in the Viticus. Presumably, Herodias' first husband had not divorced her. According to one commentator, Herod's motive for arresting John was not only John speaking out against this marriage, but also the people's hatred of of Herod anyway, which both are seen as possible um, causes of potential rebellion. According to Mark, Herod initially refused to take severe action against John because he knew him to be a holy man, man, we are told that John's preaching did raise some questions in Herod's mind and that when Herod listened to John, Herod was greatly perplexed. Perhaps something of what John said had got through to Herod and Herodias feared his influence. A birthday party attended by the courtiers and officers and leaders of Galilee appears to have presented an opportunity for Herodias to have John murdered. We're told that when Herod's daughter danced for Herod and his guests, her dancing pleased them greatly. Herod's daughter was probably Salome, um, Herodias's daughter, with Herod Philip. It's likely that Salome's dance was particularly sensual, and, um, I, d- and I think it probably bore little relation to a young girl showing, out, uh, showing off her newly learnt ballet steps. Mark then tells us that Herod made a rash promise in front of all the drunken courtiers, military and other guests and offered to give the girl whatever she wished. Herod then offered up half his kingdom which is an offer that can largely be seen as hyperbole as Herod could not have given away half his kingdom since, he was, um, since Rome was his overlord we were then told that Salome went to her mother and asked her what she should ask for and that Herodias requested the head of John the Baptist. Salome then went back to Herod with the demand for John's head on a plate. Mark tells us that Herod was deeply grieved, but because he had made an oath in front of his guests, he did not want to refuse Salome. Herod then dispatched his executioner, who brought back the head of John the Baptist on a serving dish. The soldier then presented it to the girl, who in turn presented it to her mother, in what can be seen as a morbid parody of a treat served at dinner. Mark then tells us that John's disciples heard about John's execution, when John's disciples heard about John's execution, they took his body and laid it in a tomb. John's death foreshadows the execution and burial of Jesus. John's beheading highlights the risk and danger of Jesus and the disciples' mission. It also highlights the fact that there is often a price for engaging in discipleship. The Book of Amos was written by the prophet in the middle of the 8th century BC in the northern kingdom of Israel. In our chosen reason, um, reading, Amos had a vision of the Lord standing beside a wall with a plumb line in his hand. In this vision, the Lord tells Amos that he's setting a plumb line in the midst of the people of Israel. The plumb line symbolizes God's calling his people to account for their misdeeds. God then suggests that he, she, will ignore their failures again And will not ignore their failures again, and threatens the destruction of all the shrines and also the royal family. We're then told that Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, then sends a report to King Jeroboam, telling him that Amos had predicted the king's death and exile of Israel. Amaziah then tells Amos to lead Judah. However, Amos refuses to obey, reminding Amaziah that he's not a court prophet but a simple herdsman who the Lord sent to prophesy to the people of Israel. So what do these readings mean for us? Today's readings remind us that God calls on us to speak out about things that are not right in our society. In recent months, there have been a large number of occasions where people have actually spoken out. And uh, one I came across, which I particularly liked, in, um, um, which actually I think we probably all know about, in November 2017, a journalist named Amelia Gentleman, and at this point I will forgive her for being Boris Johnson's sister-in-law, she wrote an article published in The Guardian about a, the plight of a woman called Paulette Wilson, who faced deport- deportation despite the fact she'd come to the UK from Jamaica in 1968 and had worked and raised her daughter in the UK. Paul, uh, Paulette Wilson had been classified as an illegal immigrant because she'd never applied for a British passport and had no papers show, uh, proving that she had the right to be in the UK. Amelia Gentleman then went on to publish a number of articles about other Commonwealth-born citizens who were experiencing immigration troubles which had wrongly been forced on them. Ultimately, Amelia's stories led to the resignation of the Home Secretary, Amber Rudd, and the loosening of the government's hostile environment for immigrants. Over the years, a number of people have sp- uh, spoken out about malpractices which are occurring in their places of work. One well-known example of this is Helen Donnell- um, um, Donnelly a nurse at Stafford Hospital Accident Emergency, who between the years of 2004 and 2008 was so concerned about the way that patients were being treated that she raised more than 100 complaints. Later, she was a key witness in the mid-staff's public inquiry into reports of poor care, abuse, and neglect of care at the hospital. And this inquiry itself actually was in response to the fact that between 205 and 208, there were, more than, uh, there were between 400 and 1,200 more deaths than that was normally expected. Another example of people speaking out is the tens and thousands of people this, in June this year who took part in the demonstration which took place in London, which was against the austerity cuts to the NHS. As we know, um, in re- all know in recent days, there have been a huge number of people involved in protests um, against President Trump's racist and sexist views, as well as his warmongering, cl- um, climate change denial, and in particular, his immigration policy. And I think people have taken particular offense at um, the separation um, of children from their parents. Um, according to one article I read in the paper, Um, a couple of days ago, um, the organizers of the march in London that took place on Friday estimated that there were 250,000 people taking part. Protests have taken place across across the country, including London, Manchester, Birmingham, Cardiff, Plymouth, and even Canterbury. And um, in recent last few days, obviously there have been a number of protests in Scotland. Our readings also remind us that there can be a price for speaking out. In Helen Donnelly's case, when she raised um, her concerns, she was met by threats and bullying by some of her more senior colleagues. At one stage, she had to ask members of her family to meet her after she'd finished a shift at night, so that she could be walked to her so she didn't have to walk to her car on her own. Others have been sacked for raising concerns about what was going in their place of work, on in their place of work. Uh, after Dr Hilary Dare spoke out against poor patient treatment and staff welfare in, uh, at West London Mental Health NHS Trust, which covers Broadmoor Hospital, not only was she sacked, but she also received a 93,500 legal bill from the trust. In reality, there's um, many reasons why it's often difficult to speak out. Obviously, in some countries, you can be thrown into jail. And um, I always remember some years ago, an Iraqi friend of mine, um, her father was just disappeared after he'd spoken out against the regime. Others have been prevented from speaking out by confidentiality clauses and non disclosure agreements. And um, one fairly well known case is the case of Zelda Perkins, who um, was an assistant to Harvey Weinstein. And uh, she was reluctant to talk about the attempted rape of a colleague because she'd been required to sign a non-disclosure agreement saying that she would limit the information that she provided even in a criminal case. There's a string of other reasons why people might be reluctant to talk out. It could be they don't want to be labeled a troublemaker. It could be that they have loyalty to family or friends. They may not want to upset others. And of course, people are often concerned that they might not be believed. Our reading from Amos also reminds us that we need God's guidance before we speak out. In reality, there have been many cases where people have spoken out when they probably should have not done so. Uh, In May, thousands marched through London under the banner of free speech after Tommy Robinson, the former leader of the far-right English Defence League, was banned from Twitter for hate- hate conduct after he posted a message that said Islam promotes killing people. More recently, there have been demonstrations calling for Tommy Robinson to be freed from prison after he was jailed for contempt of court, after filming people involved in the criminal trial and broadcasting the footage on social media. In reality, most people act out of good faith, um, in good faith prior to speaking out. However, it seems to me that we need God's guidance before doing so. Mark's dramatic account of John the Baptist's death teaches, something about, teaches us something about discipleship. It reminds us that we're called by God to speak out about the things that are not right and that we may have to pay a price for doing so. It also reminds us that we need God's guidance before we espouse our views. Our reading also reminds us that in speaking out, we'll be following the example of not only the prophets, but also Jesus. Jemima is going to very kindly read us First they Came by Martin, uh, Martin Namola. And... Um, Pastor Martin Luther is a bit of a, contra, um, um, a, bit of a um, sort of problematic figure in some ways, because he was a German nationalist who was sympathetic to the Nazis. But what he objected to was their intervention in the church. What he felt was that um, the church needed to be uh, the, that the church needed to be independent from the state. Thanks, Jemima.
1: As Lindsay said, this is a poem by Martin Niemöller, First They Came. First they came for the communists, and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, And I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me. And there was no one left to speak out for me.